And I'll say, bless the Lord, if you'll say, oh my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat and grab your Bibles, family. We're going to get into it this morning. This is part three of a series we've been doing through Colossians. You say, how can it be part three? We just started last Sunday. What we're doing out on Sundays and Wednesdays, working our way verse by verse through this dense, beautiful love letter from a man by the name of Paul to a church he had actually never met. The church was in the city of Colossae, so this is the letter to the Colossians. And we're going to pick up this morning in chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I want to uh, just real quickly make you aware of a couple things. Number one, uh, we've got a celebration this morning. I want to introduce you to one of our new brothers in Christ. Cole Denton. Are you here, Cole? If you are, would you just stand right over here? Cole, would you all welcome him to the family of God? Thank you, Cole. Just, he was baptized just a couple of weeks ago by his daddy, Brad, and it's so cool to see God's church growing and knowing that more people are being rescued and saved and brought to the family of God. Amen. So we're so excited for you, Cole. Yesterday, as already has been mentioned, was a big day for our church. A lot of things happening uh, around town. About 50 of us joined the Cry for the Broken Walk and uh, just prayed over the area of town where so many women in desperate need find themselves at the end of their rope. And we prayed for them and about them and had an opportunity to do that. In addition to that, there are 130 at the youth retreat this weekend, one of the largest, if not the largest, youth retreat we have had uh, at least in the past eight, ten plus years. So just an incredible weekend there. And on campus yesterday, 250 young kids were out here playing upward football. Now, what you need to know about that is the majority of those who are out here playing football have no association with this church. And many have no association with church anywhere. And so these are part of our field, opportunities to be able to share the gospel through common activities. And so I hope that even if you're not participating in one of those things, that you'll be praying that God will move through what is happening in and through this church. Second thing, just to make you aware of, we have books that we're using to go through the study in Colossians. And if you do not have one, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and raise your hand real high if you do not have one. And uh, some of our guys in the back, they will get you a book. I see a couple back here. Uh, uh, So some of our men will come by. Just keep your hand real high. They'll come get it. Uh, One up here near the front and a few over on the side. Just keep them up. They will bring you those books. I want to start with a statement that I am finding to be increasingly true in my own life, and maybe you'll agree, and here it is. It seems like everybody has an opinion about everything. Can I get an amen from someone? How many of you have had that wonderful experience of trying to decide where you're going to go to lunch with a family or dinner, and you know that one kid likes this place, but this kid, he doesn't like this place. He likes this place, but this kid doesn't like this place. This kid likes that place. And everyone has an opinion on everything. In fact, some of you have an opinion about that statement. Well, I don't think everyone has an opinion on everything. I think only some people have an opinion on some things, and you're proving my point. So in fact, let's just have a little fun this morning. We're going to have a fill-in-the-blank Opinion poll. Are you ready? And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put a different word up on here. And this is the first one. Just hang with me. And and I want you to think of the one word 
that describes your opinion of this first word. So in this case, coffee is blank. So go ahead and just turn to... What? Hold on. I don't even give you instructions. I just hear someone say, necessary. Okay? So go ahead. Turn to someone next to you. I want you to give them the one word. What's the one word? Your opinion of coffee. Go ahead. Real quick. Now, I said one word, not your life story, okay? What about this next one? Social media is blank. Now, keep it clean. You're in the church, okay? Social media is... All right, how about this third one? A Vols fan is... (laughs) How many of you are Vols fans? Can I see some hands? Outstanding. Now listen, I'm not a huge sports fan, but when I watch football, if it's college, that's who I want to watch. And yesterday I was just talking before service to Mark and Megan out front here. They watched the game. They were there, I think. And and we were talking about it. And I think the one word that might describe many of us, based on what I heard about the game yesterday, is the word relieved. (laughs) We didn't lose. (laughs) So that's good. Let me give you one more. Now I don't want you to, before we put this up here, here's the rule. Don't don't share this one, okay? I want you to just think on this one, okay? (laughs) Because this is really maybe the biggest question and determiner of who you are in so many ways. Go ahead and put this last one up on. Jesus is. Again, don't don't answer this out loud, but I want you to think with me. If you were to define Jesus and your opinion, your belief, who he is, what one word would you use? Family, I want to submit to you that this is the single greatest question, not only facing us today, but facing humanity through all time. And the fact is, if you were to go out on the street today, if you were to ask a typical Chattanoogan or a Nugan, what they believe, you'd get all sorts of answers. In fact, today, if you were to talk to your Muslim friend, they would say that Jesus was a great prophet. Now, he wasn't as great as their primary prophet, Muhammad, but they would say Jesus was a great prophet. If you asked some of our Jewish friends, they would say that Jesus was a revolutionary rabbi who died and did not come back from the dead. If you were to ask our Baha'i friends, who believe sort of all paths lead to God, they would say that Jesus was an enlightened man, but he was not the God-man. If you asked our Hindu friends, they would say Jesus was God, but only one of their many 300 million gods. If you were then to ask perhaps some of the the cults or sects that sort of are weird offshoots or somehow related far back to Christianity, you'd get other answers. So for instance, if you talk to some of our Jehovah's Witness friends, they would say that Jesus was created, that he is actually the archangel Michael. If you talk to our Mormon friends, they would say that Jesus is the polygamous half-brother of Lucifer, that he was a man who then was made into God, and we, like him, will one day become gods, ruling our own little planets. And by the way, your reward, men, will be to rule a planet, and your wife will be perpetually pregnant forever. I'm not sure how that is heaven for anybody. Or if you look at the Christian scientists, according to founder Mary Baker Eddy, Jesus is not God. How you answer this question determines so much, doesn't it? And we live in a very confused culture, one in which we dare not and cannot get this wrong. And as a church, 
It is so important that we understand and that with one voice we can say what we believe scripture teaches about this. And it's not just an issue for us. This was an issue for the first century church. In fact, that is one of the core reasons Paul wrote this little letter. And so we come to this moment in verse 15 of chapter 1 where Paul is going to unpack, I believe, and hear me now, hear me, hear me. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. He is going to define for us the one word that defines Jesus. And will define those who follow him. And so as we look at this dense passage, which actually was a first century song or poem about Jesus. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word and of Jesus Christ? Go ahead and stand as we look at this passage together. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. By making peace through his blood shed on a cross. Family, he is the image Of the invisible God. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Holy God, I pray that today you'll speak to us in a clear voice. That we understand, not merely intellectually, but in the soul deep part of our hearts. That as we see you more fully, we will love you more deeply. We thank you for revealing yourself, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, like Chattanooga, Paul is addressing a confused culture. And the culture of the Colossians was very similar to ours in that they weren't quite sure what it meant to follow Jesus or who Jesus was. In fact, Paul is addressing what has been has come to be called the Colossian heresy. And you say, well, what's the heresy, the false teaching? Well, we're not entirely sure what it all entailed, but it seems to be something relating to a common view that was growing and had its birth in the first century, really. It's called Gnosticism. And the Gnostic view is pretty complex. There's a lot of facets to it. And honestly, it gets deep real quick. But since I'm from the South, I'm just a Southern boy, let me just keep it simple and break it down for you. Can I do that? Here's the Gnostic view in a nutshell. The belief is that there was one, there is one all-powerful, infinite God who rules over everything. But because he is so big, he's so large... There's really no chance for you or me to get to know him fully. And frankly, since he's so big and we're so little, there's no real reason why he wants to get to know us. So this really big God, because the universe is so big and there's so much going on, he basically sublets out the universe to lesser gods. So this galaxy gets a god, this galaxy gets a god, this galaxy gets a god, and the Milky Way gets a god. He's the Milky Way God. 
smooth and tasty. And so this Milky Way God then looks and he goes, man, I've got too much to oversee in the Milky Way. So he sublets out the different solar systems within the Milky Way. And so then we have a solar system God. And he goes, man, there's still a lot going on. So he has different lesser gods. He sublets out all the planets. So there's an Earth God. And the Earth God goes, wow, there's continents and a lot of people. I'll sublet out gods to the different continents. And each continent then has a God who sublets it out over the states, the cities, all the way down to your neighborhood. And the view was that you and I, our goal was to figure out who our little neighborhood God was. Figure out the magic words or the secret handshake to getting to know this God. How many of you know what, I mean, how many of you remember having secret handshakes growing up or anything? You know, it's like the fist bump, you know, twist and are you in, are you out? And so you'd figure out what the secret handshake or the password is. And if you knew that one, you could understand your local little God. Congratulations, you're a Christian first step. And then the goal was to get to know the God above that God, so the God of your city. So you figure out the password, the secret word, the handshake. And then after you figure out for your city, then for your state, then your country, then your continent, then your world, then your solar system. Then, and you're working your way up to God. And they would say, so for instance, you'd be maybe a Christian fourth class. The word for taking those next steps, that's called an aeon. So maybe they'd say, you're a Christian fifth aeon, fifth step. You are closer. And it was all about what you knew, what you knew. What you do and what you knew. Do you know God's? Do you, are you able to work your way up? So it was all about what you know and what you do. And Paul wants to say, the message of scripture, hear me now, is not that through our wisdom, our understanding, or our good deeds that we can work our way up to God, but that through Jesus Christ, God came down to us. This is good news, church. You might want to inform your faces. This is good news, church, right? And so he says, here's the big thing. Are you ready? What Paul says. One word. He says, Jesus is God. You want the one word definition of Jesus. He is God. He's not a lesser God. He's not a created God. He is the big God. This is what he means when he says he is the image of the invisible God. That word image is the word icon. How many of you have ever gone into a building and you see an icon, a painting, a picture, a statue that is supposed to be of a god or goddess? The idea of the ancient world is that you would carve a, a picture or you'd paint a picture of this god, an icon, and it was not simply a picture like a photograph would be of you or me that represents the god. But rather, a true icon would create a gateway through which the big God would come into physical space. The invisible to the visible. And Paul is saying, Jesus Christ is not just a picture like a photograph. He is the very presence of the infinite God breaking into three-dimensional human space. He is, as Andy Stanley puts it, God in a bod. That's Jesus. And all he wants to do for the next few verses is unpack how Jesus is God. And he's going to say Jesus is God in his preeminence. He is God in his power. He is God in his presence. And he is God in his peace. I'm just going to walk you through this. He is God in preeminence, power, presence, and peace. If you want to walk through this, verse 15 continues. He is the image of the invisible God. Go to the next slide here. In verse 15. 
He is the firstborn over all creation. Now, here's the thing. When he says firstborn, there's a couple ways to understand firstborn. By the way, show of hands, how many of you are firstborn in your family? Would you just raise your hand? Man, doesn't it feel good to be first? How many of you wish that you were firstborn in your family? Everyone under the age of 20 is like, yes, finally, no more noogies. It would be great. There's a couple ways to understand this word firstborn. And in fact, there's some confusion as to what does firstborn mean. Some people will tell you today that Jesus is created, that he was the first creation of God, that he was firstborn in that sense. The problem is the, the Greek word that's used here, while on one or two occasions can be used to describe order of birth, it is almost always used to describe not the order of birth, but the preeminence or position of birth. And in fact, it's used throughout the Bible this way. So for instance, in Psalm, uh, I think it's chapter 89, David is said to be the firstborn of his daddy, Jesse. Now, pop quiz. Was David the first physically born son of Jesse? Church, yes or no? No, he was the eighth. But he says he is the firstborn, not in order, but in preeminence. He is the one in his position who is over his other brothers. In fact, we get a clue as to this in verse 18. Go to verse 18 for me here. Next slide. It says, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Now, another question. Was Jesus the first to die in Scripture and be raised from the dead in Scripture? Church, yes or no? No. Do you remember before Jesus is killed and resurrected, he raised a man by the name of Lazarus. And this little girl who is Jairus' daughter. And then if you go to the Old Testament, there's a man named Elijah who raises a boy from the dead. So is Jesus the physical first person to ever die and be raised from the dead? No. Firstborn from among the dead does not refer to order, it refers to preeminence. He is above, he is greater than, he is over all. Jesus Christ is God, he is over all, he is preeminent, he is the great big God. And here's why this is so important. In the ancient world, a firstborn got all the good things from the daddy. The firstborn got the father's authority. He got the father's position. He got the father's wealth. He had everything that the father has. So when you see Jesus, you see the one who carries everything that God the father has because Jesus is God. The second thing he says is Jesus is God in his preeminence, but he's also God in his power. He is God in his power. If you want to write this down, this is the second one. He is God in his power. Notice what it says here in verse 16. It says that, for by him all things were created. By the way, do you know what that word all things means in the original Greek? It means all things. All things. Jesus is the one who created all things. By the way, if he himself were a created being, he himself could not be the creator of all things because he would be part of all. Correct? He is the one who created all things. I just want you to think with me for a moment here. I remember back in 1997, my dad and I went on a road trip. We flew into Las Vegas. We rented a car. We didn't stay in Vegas. We hopped in a car. We drove around. It was the first time I'd ever been in a convertible. How many of you have ever been in a convertible before? I mean, you just, I mean, just top down, you're going. I'd never been in one before. And 
we got in this and I remember we were just going all over. We were going to California, Nevada, and we went to uh, New Mexico and just looking at all these great places together. And one night, I remember in particular, as we're driving, we had the convertible lid down, Dad's driving. I have my seat reclined. It was one of those dark, lonely stretches of highway where the road just disappears. And you don't see many lights, but every once in a while, every five or six minutes, you'll see just a pin light and it's a car. And it'll take two or three minutes from the point when you see it to when it passes you. It's just that open and empty. And the sky was perfectly clear that night. And I remember looking up and I saw so many stars. I felt like I would fall into the sky. Have you ever seen that many stars? And the scripture tells us, Long before you and I opened our eyes, this God, Jesus said, let there be light. And every one of those little stars burst into existence. I was thinking about just the power that it would take to create everything. And I did a little research. You know, our sun is a star, but it turns out it's not one of the bigger stars, and yet it's incredibly powerful. I did some research and... When you think about what man has been able to create, the height of man's creative power was harnessed in the atomic or hydrogen bomb. It's just this immense power that we were able to unleash. And one of the first times that we detonated an atomic bomb was in 1945. And the bomb was called the little boy, which I'm thinking, boy, that little boy made a big spank. I mean, it's just boom. But the little boy was dropped on this town called Hiroshima, the city in this area. Utterly devastated it. Believe it or not, the little boy was not the, not the biggest one that we've ever created, but it was, a, it was a big explosion. And Someone did the math. They said, okay, this explosion that literally toppled houses, grass, trees, everything, just gone. If there's water in the way, it vaporized. It's just this incredible explosion. The most terrifying thing we as people have ever created. By the way, how many of you grew up during the years of the Cold War where you were taught to duck and cover in school? How helpful is ducking and covering under your desk going to be if that happens? Bye-bye. Massive. Someone say, well, that's so big. That's what we created. Well, how big? How much would just one second of energy produced by the sun, how many explosions, how many atomic explosions would it take to just equal one second of the sun's power? And someone did the numbers, and this is what it was. I've got to look at this because there's just so many. It would take 6,126,984,126,984 atomic bombs to produce but one second of power that the sun produces. There it goes. There it goes. And our God said, this is just a speck in the universe I'm creating. You think I am some petty little God you can put in your pocket. I'm the God who when I spoke, everything came into being. In the book of Isaiah, we're told that God literally measured the universe with his hand. And God says, this is Jesus, the creator of all things. His power is beyond what you can imagine. From the greatest black hole to the smallest particle, he is the one who created all things. Things. And notice it says, not only did he create it, it's for him. People say, what is the purpose? What is the meaning of life? Here's your purpose. To know Jesus and to love Jesus. That's it. 
to know him and love him. For by him, he created all things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible. If you can see it, he made it. If we can't see it, but it's there, he made it. All the thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, this includes the angelic and the demonic realms, everything that is God created. Now, by the way, just a little side note, everything he created was good when he made it. We made it bad. Amen? So let's not get confused here. Well, did God create? No, no, no. But by him, for him, through him. And then it says something that's really astounding. It says, next verse, it says, For he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. How many of you find that it's easy to start a project, but it's really hard to keep the project going? Let me give you one word. Children. That is easy to get started, amen? It is not so easy to keep going, amen? Some of you are too weary to even go, amen, you're like, yeah, it is wears you out. Have you ever found yourself just worn out from spinning the plates of the few things that you've started? And yet the Bible says that right now Jesus Christ by the word of his mouth is holding you and me together that if he should cease speaking you and I would cease existing. He creates all things and he holds all things together. He's the power of God incarnate. He's the preeminence of God. He's the power of God. And then the third thing here I want you to see this. He's the presence of God. Verse 19 is so beautiful. Look what it says. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. That God is fully made known and pressed in to Jesus. How many of you, uh, just, you know, you don't have to raise your hand, but just think with me for a moment here. How many of you kind of like soda? Or, excuse me, or pop? Or as we call it in the South, Coke. And by the way, when you go to a restaurant, they say, would you like a Coke? You say, yes. And they say, what kind of Coke do you want? Because that is the biblical definition of any kind of soda. It's a Coke. I want a Sprite Coke. I want a Dr. Pepper Coke. I want a Pepsi. No, not a Pepsi. I want... <clears throat> How many of you have ever taken a bottle of Coke and you try to pour it in and the goal is to get it right to the top without the foam pouring out, right? You want to get it right up there and you pour it and you keep kind of... Have you ever had one of those moments though where... Before you even get it to the cup, someone has shaken the bottle and you twist it. And what happens? You've just redecorated the walls in that room. This is the picture of Jesus. That God is pressed into Jesus. All of God in Jesus. That he is exploding. He is uncontained in the Christ. He is God's full presence in here and now. And here's why this is so important. Many of us grew up in a church that taught that God was an angry, vengeful deity who's looking for any excuse to knock you down. And some of us were taught growing up that God the Father really doesn't like you very much, but when he was about to destroy you, Jesus said, no, 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 Dad, don't, don't beat them, I'll take care of it. You need to understand something that is not biblical. The Hebrew writer tells us that every picture we see in the Old Testament is but a shadow of the real God. Have you ever been afraid of a shadow before? I remember when I was real little going down, my grandmother had this scary old basement. It was a finished basement, but it's kind of terrifying. And I remember I just finished watching earlier that morning uh, an episode of Scooby-Doo. Terrifying stuff, man, when you're 25. And I just... <clears throat> I went... I just seen this, and the episode was about this giant shark man. And I remember this creepy old shark creature would come out, and he would, like, get them and stuff... 
And at the bottom of my grandmother's staircase was a door that you could not see when you came down the staircase, but it went into the laundry room. And I remember I was so terrified of the shark man. Problem was my dad learned that I was terrified of the shark man and thought he'd have a little fun with me. So I I, I went downstairs for something. He got downstairs before me. He hid in the laundry room. And as I'm getting to the bottom of the staircase, he flips the light on and his shadow, he goes, and I went, the legs didn't stop. Back upstairs. Have you ever been afraid of a shadow and then you find out it's nothing to be afraid of? Some of us are afraid of God, but here's what you need to know. The Hebrew writer says that you saw the shadow of God, but if you want to know the picture, the fullness, the glory of God, it is Jesus Christ. You wonder how God relates to you when you've sinned? That's real easy. Just look at how he related to a woman caught in the act of adultery. You want to know how God relates to you when you are brokenhearted? That's easy. Just look at... What he did at the grave of a beloved friend who died. He cries. He's there. He's present. You want to know what God thinks of every little child in the world? He's the one who says, don't you dare keep the little kids from me. I love them. If you want to know God's heart, look at Jesus Christ. He is the presence of God. So we got this so far. You see this? Jesus Christ is God in his preeminence, his power, his presence. And finally, he is God in his peace. Verse 20 says it this way. That he reconciles, that he reconciles all things to himself. Whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That Jesus is the one who reconciles or brings us back together. Now listen, this is going to take us out for just a moment, but I got to address something here. There's an increasingly popular view being communicated in our culture It's this idea of universalism. In fact, let me just wake you up real fast. Everybody say, universalism. Universalism. Now, universalism basically says that at the end, God will save everyone. That no one will go to hell. That there will be no judgment. That all things are going to be puppy dogs and rainbows at the end. And some people will look at this passage and say, see, this is what it's teaching. That he's going to reconcile. He's going to bring back everyone together. And there's not going to be anyone who's lost. But here's what you need to understand. When he talks about reconciling to himself all things, he's not talking about universal salvation. He's talking about universal subjugation. You say, well, that doesn't sound very nice and cuddly. Here's what it means. Right now, you and I have the free will to do whatever we want. Amen? We can do what we want. We can behave well or poorly. We can trust God or not. We can follow Jesus or or stiff-arm Jesus. We have freedom. But the scriptures say that there is coming a day. In fact, Philippians talks about this. That there is coming a day that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, earth, and under the earth. Those with God who are here and those who are separated from God. It's the idea that reconciliation means one day... Your self-rule will come to an end, and whether you choose God or not, you will still bow your knee to his authority. By the way, family, this is why sharing your faith is so vital. Because if there is a judgment, if there is a day where people's decisions really will matter, it is so important that we share the good news of Jesus. And it is good news! He loves you, he loves me, he died for you, he died for me so that when the day came that our sins must have been paid, Christ said, I got this one, and his blood took away all our sins. Is that good news? Is that good news? 
So here's where I want us to kind of wrap things up. Jesus is God in every way. You say, but what does that have to do with me? There's a word we use in church. It's one of those big sort of $10 church words. It's the word glory. Everybody say glory. Now everybody say it like you really mean it. Glory. Yeah, you got to add that extra syllable or four, okay? That word glory has a couple of meanings in scripture. One is it can refer to something that is bright, that's brilliant, that's so dazzling that you have to turn your eyes away. But in the Hebrew language, the word glory has a second meaning, which means weight or weightiness. How many of you know that if something gets big enough, the weight of that thing, if it's large enough, it begins to create its own gravity? Right now, we are the subjects of Earth's gravity. Just, you know, you put your hand up. You want to see? Oh, yeah. None of our hands are kind of doing this. We're not doing the little Mary Poppins. We're floating through the air. We are under the pull of gravity. And the scriptures teach that Christ's glory, his gravity, the weightiness of who he is, is the weight that keeps us together. I was thinking about this week as I was doing some research on the sun. I was just reminded of the most basic thing. Because of the size and the weight and the gravity of the sun, our solar system works perfectly. Planets in alignment, in orbit. We don't see Jupiter bumping into Pluto. We don't see... Uranus and Mars hitting each other. We see the universe, this solar system working together. Here's the problem, and I'm just going to speak frankly. Every one of us has something at the center of our own little world, our own little solar system. And nothing that you or I put in the center has the gravitational weight to keep everything else spinning in alignment. Some of us in this room, we think that so long as we have a good relationship, we get that one girl, that one guy, we have that one relationship, then our little solar system, everything will work. Understand me, wives make great spouses, they make terrible gods. Ladies, husbands make great spouses, they make terrible gods. You put the weight of God on them making them be the one who does everything that keeps your world in orbit and you will see your planets begin to crash because no human has the capacity, the gravity to keep everything in shape. We talk about maybe a career. I think about the number of guys I know who have put everything in their universe behind their career and they think, if I just have the right job, if I just have the right income, if I just have the right title, if I just have, just have, then everything will work. And the number of those men who've lost families or their health, we see that if you put anything in the center other than for Jesus, it falls apart, it fractures. Parents, children make terrible gods. I have a friend back in Houston who used to talk about how when we see parents who elevate their children and live through their children and try to get everything out of life through their kids, he said, you know what that's called? I said, no, what's that? He goes, I call that chidolatry. Oh, that's great. Children are wonderful gifts from God, but they are not God. And if you try to get your meaning from your kids, two things are true. One, they will never be able to perform up to your standards and you will break them because you're putting a weight on them they can never hold. And two, even if somehow they match your expectations, guess what? They will leave you. I'm sorry, let me back up. We hope that all children will... Anyway, okay? And I want you to hear this as, as clear as I can say. I love you, I love you, I love you. 
But Paul wants us all to know that the only one who can hold the gravity of your universe together is an infinite, beautiful God. And his name is Jesus. So I want to end with one question. It's the one we started. This morning, how do you answer this question? Jesus is blank. The way that we live this week shows what we believe about that. Amen.